and welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire, Mike Leno, and Evan Ginsberg. Evan, would you like to introduce our guest for tonight? Absolutely. He is Macho Man, the world's number one Macho Man, Randy Savage impersonator. Number one. How are you tonight? The one and only, the very best, past, present, future, no doubt about it. Yeah, dig it. There you go. And let me let me just say this. We go we go back a pretty long time. We have the same friends on in the Indies, Tiger Khan and the Pharaoh, etc. So on. So you're a legitimate wrestler. You know, you're not a guy in a costume. You're a legitimate wrestler in shape, ring shape, if you will. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, that's very true that uh, before I was doing this March thing. I was known as Vic Divine on the independent circuit. Um, started in 1990. I started my training in 1997, originally from New York. And so I was doing that whole New York, New Jersey thing. I eventually uh, moved on to uh, OVW, started training there with uh, none other than Rip Rogers, wow. a Macho Man's trainer. So that kind of, uh, uh, I, Macho Man was his, his uh, trainer. So, it's kind of weird how that all uh, came like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm not just some goof in a costume. This is just something that I happen to be good at my whole life. You know, when I was a little kid, I was able to do this voice. And, you know, I guess I just watched way too much uh, wrestling when I was a kid. And um, it was what I decided to fall back on once I couldn't wrestle anymore. You know what I mean? I got beat up and uh, it hurts too much to be a wrestler. So it's better to uh, just pretend to be one. Wow. And of all the wrestlers in the world, I mean, I'm a big Randy Savage fan. Why, why Randy out of thousands and thousands of legends? You know, I, I could do a lot of impressions of a lot of other wrestlers, but, uh, you know, there was just um, something about him when I first saw him, man. I don't even know, like, because uh, I started out as a Hulkamaniac, man. Macho Man wasn't even on the scene yet, you know? And um, I was a big Hulkamaniac, but then uh, I think I don't remember the first time that I actually saw Macho Man. But the minute I saw him, um, I'm pretty sure that it was a promo, not a match. And as soon as I saw him and I saw Elizabeth and I heard the voice and I saw the, the you know, the glitter and the, you know, the the headband. And, and it was just like, man, this guy is um, this guy's cooler than Hulk Hogan, you know, like I'm going to watch this guy. So, um but as far as doing the, uh, you know, doing what I'm doing now, man, it was just like, I never thought that I looked like him. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't look like him when I was wrestling. You know, I didn't, I didn't try to wrestle like him. I didn't try to look like him. I, you know, had a shaved head and a, you know, totally different, um, you know, there was no, I wasn't in any way, nobody ever said anything about Macho Man when I was wrestling. You know what I mean? I've heard, you know, I heard the Goldberg and the Stone Cold stuff. You know, anybody with a bald head looks the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it wasn't until, it really wasn't until uh, when he passed away that all of a sudden, like, this, this uh, the old, uh, you know, the kid in me, man, the, the fan that I was when I was a kid came out. And then I just started to, to do it. Like, I, I was like, okay, for Halloween, I'm going to be Macho Man and I'm going to go to, you know, clubs and this and that and kind of like dug up the old, uh, the old voice that I was in. Cause I didn't do it for a long time. You know what I mean? And, um, 
And it was just weird, man, because I put the stuff on, you know, I made a costume and I put it on and I looked in the mirror and I said, well, shit, I look like him. Wow. You know, I didn't realize that I did. And I put it on. And now people tell me that I look like him even when I'm not in gimmick, which is really weird. It's like I've like yeah, I've morphed into him, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But uh, mm -hmm. I don't try to, you know, I'll go out. Sometimes I'll go out in, in character and people will, like, you know, really freak out. But sometimes, uh, you know, just go out with like a, a baseball cap and my eyeglasses and, you know, people will be like, hey, man, you look like Macho Man. I'm like, really? Serious? Yeah. Oh, not a we have a picture of, of you in character here. Let, let me go ahead and share that with the with the audience here. And let's see if you... Right, always a little bit of a challenge with the technical side of things, but um, uh, uh, why, uh, why do you think people have such an incredible love for Macho Man Randy Savage? Why do you think people are just so so, so in love even after the, the fact, you know, so many years after he's been gone, people are still doing impressions of him and they're still, you know, uh, uh, they love him so much. Why do you think that is? Because I don't think he was just a, I don't think he was like just a wrestler. You know what I mean? He was like an iconic, like um, pulp, uh, pop culture, you know, character, man. I mean, and that's exactly, no matter which version of Macho Man, even this one here, this is like the 1999 WCW look right here, you know. Um, but even that, you know what I mean? He just always had a different look and it was always cool and it was always you know and of course the voice and the mannerisms you know i don't know i don't know where all those ideas came from you know what i mean the, the creativity of the of the voice and the mannerisms like who thinks to like do all this and this and you know what i mean and the voice and the um but he was just so uh so creative and so different from everybody else man you could look at everybody else and there was a lot of great you know, characters and great wrestlers um, throughout the years, but nobody is is in the same class as him. You know what I mean? He's just a completely different type of character. Lanny, uh, Lanny Papo is a good friend of mine. He stayed with me many times here in New York, and um, he said to me that uh, Randy took a lot from Pampero Furpo. Right. That's where the ooh yeah came from because that was Furpa been doing that since 1959. Right. But he paid tribute. He admitted it. And it was cool because I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, Lanny and Angelo were tag champs for the Sheik around 76, 75, 76. I shot them there just once. And uh, Randy finally came over. I forget, you know, the he, it was his rotator cup or something in the farm system for the St. Louis cards. And then he came in and showed a lot of promise. So it was the three of them there. But he that's where Randy saw Ferp and where Lanny saw Ferp. And uh, a total legend of that hardcore chic style. And uh, it, it was very cool, you know, for all of us that know who Ferpo was and the fantastic Detroit 70s territory that uh, Randy would take this and sort of carry Pampiro Ferpo, Juan Ketchmanian with him, you know, total legend. and and. That's to be, you know, really respected. I'll shut up, Ev. Go back to what you were asking. I remember seeing that in, because um, I have all the DVDs and everything of the the Macho Man story, and uh, and uh, you know, Lanny talks about that. How, you know, how he, um, 
did that because he said that Randy was uh, coming to to him about you know about doing promos and stuff, and Lanny's the one that told him you know like like who's the who's the you know the most savage that you know, and then he said to do that promo that he did, and then he said the oh yeah, and he goes that's it, like you know he tells the whole story, so you know it makes me really wonder how how Randy Savage's um, character or how he was before becoming. You know, I I still like I've heard a lot of different versions of his voice. You know what I mean? Because I'm just like uh, like a macho man historian, so I watch everything and I could hear, you know, his voice different in different years and different types of interviews and everything. So I really wonder, like, before he developed that macho man, that whole ooh yeah type of thing, what he sounded like. Well, look at ICW. That's a good place to start. There's very little, and I don't think there's audio on the Detroit stuff when he was there. Uh, I, I would also look at the Jarrett stuff, you know, uh, after that period of time. But ICW, the family's promotion that was an outlaw promotion that would run spots. And they bought TV time in San Francisco and LA, as far away, you know, they hoped to tour there. And Randy had a much different voice. And uh, he was also, he was almost like a, a crazy guy, melding like Tiger Jeet Singh, Sheik, Abby Furpo, maybe Eddie Creechman, all these things as he was uh, finding his way. But ICW is probably the best. If you've not watched that and his big feud with Ronnie Garvin and there were guys like uh, Bob Wharton Jr. there and uh, uh, one man gang when he was known as uh, under his real name. And uh, that, that was like an amazing, I mean, the Lanny and Angela were there. Liz was there uh, a little bit later on in the second year, like doing the, uh, uh, interviews and, and things like that. Yeah, remember, um, I remember seeing Randy Savage doing uh, doing a promo for ICW, and um, and he sounded almost like Mankind. He had like a whining kind of like, and he was he was crazy. Like you know, he definitely played more of a more of a savage than a macho man. You know, later on he became well, cool. like he told me he was coming like out of his gut. Like I go. Where's this? Because I told him he sounded like Dick the Bruiser or Blassie with that gravelly voice, that work worker voice, which is completely different if you're talking to them in a casual situation or like in the uh, whatever it's called, the food area, the, the common green area, like at WCW pay-per-views. Randy didn't talk that way. That wasn't that guttural type way from the gut voice. Right. Um, well, one, thing, like, one thing that Lanny, one thing that Lanny told me was. Um, that he was very, that Lanny was very influenced by Terry Funk, and Terry Funk taught Lanny, be strange, be strange, because you want the fans to notice you. In WWE today, you know, every everybody has a six-pack of abs, and they, they kind of look the same and generic. But, um, you know, Lanny, when he did the genius, and I'm assuming this filtered down to Randy, you know, do something outlandish and get that attention. Yeah. And he did. Now, what's your favorite form of Randy Savage? Is it the, the Macho King? Is it the, the, the pre-Sherry Martell years? Is it the uh, Intercontinental years? Is it his World Championship years? What, what phase of Randy Savage is your favorite? Um, definitely the, uh, you know, when he first came to WWE during that, you know, 85 and then, and then, you know, 86 when he was the Intercontinental Champion and he was like, you know, uh, he was like a real, you know, uh, not a very nice guy to Elizabeth. It was very entertaining, 
You know what I mean? Later on, it's funny because later on during that whole like the 90s, you know, uh, like that new generation era when, you know, when the new guys were coming in and he was doing the cowboy hat and the, and the fringe and everything that that's like the most, you know, charactery and the most, um, you know, when I put stuff like that on, it gets most attention probably, but that's my least favorite version. I like this version better than that version. I like the way he looked in, uh, in WCW when he changed up his look. I, I like the, you know, when he became like, he was just like cooler now, you know, he wasn't so like cartoonish and he was like, um, you know, in WCW with like NWO and stuff like that. When he started wearing black instead of like the neon colors and stuff, that's, I kind of liked it all except for during the, you know, all the, the fringe and everything, man. It was like, it's weird. Cause that's what most people will, will like, you know what I mean? But at that time, I guess maybe my age and stuff like that, that, you know, I went from like in, you know, the Macho Man in the early 80s. And then when that new generation came, I started to become a fan of like Shawn Michaels and, and those guys, you know. Let me just interject. How costly, it must be very costly because I think initially, this, or after a couple of years when he hit it off with Hogan and Linda, Balea, uh, he, uh, they recommended the, uh, the same guy they sent Brutus Beefcake, Ed Leslie to for the, it was like a guy who outfitted rock stars. Right you know, like Iron Maiden and some of the hair bands then. And, and you could see that in some of what Randy was wearing. But is it pretty costly to buy all the uh, the costumes to go with it? Because it was a, he spared no expense on the outfits. Well, yeah, they said that, you know, that he was very uh, frugal with his money. But the one thing that he didn't, you know, uh, that he that he wasn't frugal about was his uh, was his ring gear. You know, even back in the 80s when he had the um, the robes with the sequence and the headbands to match. His actual ring gear was pretty basic, you know, the the regular trunks with the stars on them and everything. That was like as basic as you could get, you know, regular boots, you know, regular knee pads. But those those capes and those um, those robes and stuff like that, man, he uh, he knew that they it took this elaborate. You know? Yes. And, I, you know, I think that's a, a, a rumor we ought to dispel because. I threw a uh, Sam Munchkin convention in, uh, and I don't want to go into it too much, but it was a huge success. We had uh, tons of the boys that all paid their way there. And it started with Lou Thez as my lead MC with Ernie Ladd and Red Bestine and blah, blah, blah. But Lanny flew himself in, you know, last minute. I didn't even know he was coming amidst all of these guys I had. Killer Kowalski, Ox Baker, Ivan Koloff, uh, Al Costello, all these folks that, of course, knew Randy. And he brought in, he paid and brought in a, a like a chiropractor masseuse because he knew, I don't know, Ev, did you get like a neck massage from her? I, he brought in this gal for us to help out. I don't think, I think that family gets a bad rap because Angelo was simply, you know, he came out of depression era and he was teaching his kids, as he even told me, just to invest wisely, not throw the money away because he knew and saw firsthand what Jerry Graham would do. Well, that stuff was true, lighting cigars with $100 bills. And he ended up in a flat that was probably 10 by 20 feet. You know, a couple of us would go and visit Jerry Graham before he died and try to bring him food and stuff. So that's what he instilled in his kids. I don't think they're frugal. I think they're just wise with their money. And I think a lot of the wrestlers have learned from that, you know, they weren't getting the money then that some of these guys do now. I mean, Randy, if you look at what Randy was probably paid, you'd say, geez, he's worth way more than a, a John Cena or one of those characters. 
he right. did better with the Slim Jims than he did with a lot of the uh, wrestling. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was huge. So a, a lot of people, when they're asked to name their favorite match of all time, bring up the Randy Savage, uh, uh, Ricky Steamboat, WrestleMania match. And what are your thoughts about that? And is it something that you've ever tried to 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 try to use the moves that you saw in that match and try to put them into the matches that you had? You know what? I wish that I did, man. You know, when I was wrestling, I I really, you know, I didn't I didn't watch Randy Savage the way that I do now. You know what I mean? Uh, and I wish that I did, man, because like I watch his matches now, and I'm like, wow, man. I like if I could have. You know, if I was studying him the way that I study, because I watch a lot of his stuff now, and and I watch it more for the the characteristics and stuff. It's almost like doing my homework. You know, I take it serious that it's like every time that I watch him, I can pick up a little bit more and more of uh, you know, like to to get better at what I do. But if I would have been watching the way that I watched now, if I was watching back when I was wrestling, I would have been a much better wrestler, for sure. I mean, he he really was. Um, you know, still to this day, one of the very best. Influential, because there's quite a few guys in Japan that use the Savage Elbow, very popular there. Obviously, we saw Jay Lethal do it. I think a dream match for you. Are you still wrestling? Because how about you against Jay Lethal? That would be a lot of fun with you guys doing one-offs. He still is there acts normal. as pomp and circumstance at the very start. It doesn't play it full, like when he was in TNA doing the entire bit, but I, I think that would be a, a big money maker on any indie you versus uh, Jay Lethal doing Randy. If um, I can't wrestle anymore because my back is all messed up, mm-hmm. but if I could, that would definitely be like the one match that I would want to do because you can't think of anything more entertaining. You know, it, it would be it would be a draw. You know what I mean? So um, doing Evan hasn't told us, and I, I'm sure he knows because you guys are buds. Um, are you? doing this at uh, at shows and maybe conventions and fan fests where it would be a knockout popular thing? Um, I'm hoping that it'll become a knockout popular thing. I mean, I have been booked. I am booked next weekend in uh, Jacksonville for the River City uh, Wrestling Con. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing my very best to get my name out there. Just like, I mean, I'm taking this, you know, no different than when I was wrestling, man. I'm, I'm just, you know... I'm hustling and busting my ass to try to get booked everywhere that I can, except not in the ring. You know what I mean? I can't do anything. Uh, can't do anything physical, man. Unfortunately, because if I could wrestle under this, you know, under this uh, character, and and now watching so much Macho Man stuff that I know that I'd be able to put on a very Macho Man esque, you know, using all his signature stuff and and you know using his being in character the whole time it would be amazing so you could do like a rant or a macho man as, as yourself but because you sound like him it doesn't sound like you can even break away or break kf uh have a, a macho man podcast or all kinds of you're on I youtube show f you could do oh, all kinds of stuff he with. has a podcast plug yeah. the podcast. All right, i'm way ahead of you man i'm trying to do everything i can i got merchandise on uh on t public um because um i don't have enough uh, popularity to be on uh, uh, pro wrestling tees, but yeah, man, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm using this as you know everything that I learned in in the wrestling business, you know, as far as uh, you know promoting yourself and you know and uh, you know merchandise and this and that and everything else, man. I'm 
I'm doing it the same way. You know what I mean? To me, it's no different, except that I'm just not getting my ass kicked anymore. Can you, can you, I like Randy, I had Randy on the, a separate show. Sadly, it wasn't with Ev, but I, I taped the thing, and it was when his uh, rap album came out. Oh, <laughs> what you want to steer clear of, because even Randy said maybe that wasn't the best idea, but it was fun to hear him do that. It was fun to see him in Spider-Man. I mean, one of the that with Tobey Maguire, that was one of the biggest movies uh, for quite a few years, and to have one of our own in there, huge. So uh, the sky's the limit, I guess. For do you know uh, Johnny Valiant was in Spider-Man also as an extra? People don't realize. Well, yeah. So, so tell me your your favorite match as a wrestler that you had, or maybe some of the highlights you had in the ring as Macho Man. Well, I didn't do any as Macho Man. Oh, okay. I didn't do any, you know what I mean? Like this, I started doing this about three, four years ago, or something like that. Um, you know, when the whole time I was wrestling, I wrestled under the name Vic Divine, and I was, you know, in no way, you know, nothing, nothing like this at all. But uh, okay, as Vic Divine, what were some of your as uh, the best folks that you you went in the ring with? Um, probably the most memorable match for for a few reasons. Um, I had a match with Sid Vicious at the Westchester County Center. Hmm. The reasons why that was a big deal. Number one, it's Sid Vicious. You know, number two, I wasn't expected to wrestle that night. I was brand new. I was uh, two years in. And I just came to the county. The county center was right in my backyard. I'm from Westchester. I graduated high school in that building. I um, I used to go there and, and watch wrestling when I was a kid. I would walk there in the snowstorm to watch wrestling and to beat all the wrestlers outside. And um, so here I am, the guy that trained me, a shark attack kid who was good friends with uh, Tiger Khan and, um, and, and the Pharaoh. How's he and, doing? Uh, I haven't seen him in years. Vinny, I, you know, I don't talk to him that often, man. Every once in a while, he'll pop up on, on uh, social media and say hello, and then he, like, disappears. Hey, he's, like, tremendous, tremendous wrestler. Tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, he's not doing anything with wrestling anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, but we stayed in touch for a while. But then, you know, like, I moved away, and then, you know, things just kind of, you know. But I always try to, to keep in touch with him. I always say what's up whenever I do, you know, see him on. Um I'm, I'm friends with his family on, on, he's not much of a social media guy. So like when I see his sister on there, I'll be like, Hey, how's it I'll, I'll tell you a quick Vinny story. I'm sitting, I'm sitting at dinner with Tiger Khan and, and Abe, the Pharaoh. And he gets, they get a call from Vinny. He was wrestling in Baltimore. He broke his leg. I don't know if you right. remember this. Yep. So we're, we're like, it's like one in the morning. Bam. Tiger and Abe drive five hours to Baltimore to go help their friend. This is what people don't understand about the business. They wow. hear all they hear all the terrible things, but boy, they were gone in a second. We're coming to get you, you know? Their friend was hurt five hours yeah. away. Yeah. That was, I remember when that happened because um, you know, he had just started training me and um and then he I remember he broke his leg and that's when uh that's when Abe and uh and Marlon took over and, and were training me. So I never stopped training. Vinny was out with a broken leg, but he had his boys, you know, he said, hey, man, take care of my student. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and I continued. And then Vinny came back. And then me and Vinny had a match. And uh, it was one of my first, um, you know, I think one of my first good matches. And it was cool because that was in Westchester also. 
So we both got to wrestle in front of our families. You know what I mean? Our, they never did shows in Westchester, you know? And when we got a chance to work each other in Westchester in front of our families there, that was pretty cool, man. There you go. So we know there's a lot of Elvis imitators. There's a lot of Michael Jackson imitators. On one of my old shows, I had a Tina Turner imitator. Is, is there a market for this? And, I mean, are there other guys doing this, or is it just you? Well, here's the deal. There's a lot of guys that um, they're not impersonators. See, what I am is I'm an, I'm an impersonator slash tribute artist. That's what I refer to myself as. And um, there are people out there that are lookalikes. There are people out there that are cosplayers. There are people out there that are, uh, you know, they put on a, a pair of glasses and a headband and, and you know, they think that that's uh, doing what I do. But I am, uh, I am in a class of my own. Yes, I am. I am yeah. the one Macho Man impersonator, past, present, future, and there's nobody that could do it like I can. There you, go. you sound just like him. You yeah, sound sure does. Well, and you look like him too, and you've got the mannerisms. Yeah, you've got the. It's it's, it's another thing too. To to. Why do you think that of all the wrestlers there are in the world, and there's so many of them, Macho Man stands out as a distinct person. That you, when you think of wrestling, you think of Andre the Giant because he's a wrestler. You think of Hulk Hogan, and you think of Ric Flair. But then probably right after that. Someone would probably name Macho Man Randy Savage as like the ultimate in like pro wrestler. Why do you think he still has such a lasting impression? It's even hard for a lot of us to feel, to think that he's gone. You know, right. he's still he's got such an impression on so many people. And that's why you're so popular. But why do you think that is? Why, why do you think the core of that is? You know, I, I think that he's number one on that list, man. I think, uh, you know, that uh, even Hogan. You know, I think Hogan was the number two guy as far as I'm concerned. Um, the reason why is because Macho Man put so much into not only his matches. I mean, his wrestling was unbelievable. Yeah. But there's nothing about his his character. I mean, he everything from the way that he walked to the way that he, you know, his his, his voice, his mannerisms, his, you know, just his, I mean, there wasn't anything about him that wasn't. He gave some of the best promos outside of Ric Flair. I mean, really? I, I always look forward to when Randy Savage would have a promo. You know, he, when they would say at the at the after the match, they'd say, and now we have an interview with Randy Savage. I would make sure I'd watch that. Whereas with a lot of wrestlers, you know, if it's Dino Bravo or if it's, you know, uh, uh, maybe Jimmy Snuka, I would like go, ah, you know, it's just on in the background. But Randy Savage, I wanted to make sure I watched every interview that he did. Yep. Him and Piper. You just never wanted to miss it because you didn't know exactly what he was going to say it was going to be something interesting. Well, let's have to plug all of his social media. How can people get a hold of him who may want to hire him or utilize him or book him? Plug everything, Macho Man. Well, what you got to do really is uh, because of the way that I spell my name, it's M O T C H O M A N N. And pretty much that is my, all of my social media um, handles is Macho Man. Um, you can find me on, uh, I mean, pretty much if you Google that name, everything will come up even easier. I have a website called, uh, the match.com and everything is on there. So if you just go to that, you'll find all my social media handles. You'll find the T public, um, uh, the link to T public that has my, uh, my merchandise on there. Um, 
the uh, the modcast is um, on YouTube, so that's every Thursday. Um, and if, so, if you just put in Moch on YouTube, you'll see the Moch, you know, the the, the Moch channel, the Moch tube, whatever. I have a guy that does all my uh, all that uh, high tech stuff, man. Because I'm not. <laughs> if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even know who I am because I'm just really not good with uh, you know social media or youtube or anything that has to do with uh, anything i'm surprised that i was actually able to work by skype there you go you came in very well for us absolutely really? you know from the house of ideas i was thinking you know what you might want to try doing is one of two things one is you should be on the young rock you should be the guy doing randy savage on the young rock you are so much better than the guy that they got. And we have a friend, Wayne Matai, who is the Sergeant Slaughter on Young Rock. So I'll have him put in a good word for you. The other idea that I thought of is you should take a female wrestler to the ring that looks like Sherry Martell. You could reverse roles. You could manage, you could be the Macho King and manage Sherry Martell as a female wrestler and turn the, the roles around. And then that way you wouldn't have to get in. You could still manage and do your macho. We'll have to shit. have him back on because we can plug <laughs> lookalikes, Sherry lookalikes, et cetera, et cetera. Even a Medusa and a Molly Holly lookalike. Yeah, that's been a bad idea. Cause I, you know, I still love, you know, I still love the wrestling business, not so much the wrestling product. I don't watch wrestling anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't watch anything anything new i only watch the old stuff um but um I, I wouldn't mind you know being involved in in some wrestling doing that that managing stuff that sounds really fun oh i think you'd be good at it you know I'm trying to find a miss elizabeth to do you know to do uh signings and stuff with me you know what i mean um and i i have somebody that uh I don't know how she looks yet all dolled up, but I met this girl and she's very plain and the girl next door look and I, and I, you know, she knows what I do. And I, she had no idea who Macho Man was. I showed her a picture. I showed her who Elizabeth is. And I said, you think you could pull this off and, you know, want to try to make some money with me and do some signings? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So we haven't done it yet. I don't know what she looks like. You know, um, uh, you know, I don't, I've never even seen her with makeup on. She's a pretty girl, but I, I saw her and I go, she could make an Elizabeth. So bring we'll see. Her on, bring her on the next time you have you on. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, because it'll be a surprise to me, man. You know, I said let's go. Uh, let's go to Goodwill and get you like a really nice gown. You know, by you know, <laughs> yeah, Goodwill. You know what I mean? No, because uh, I'm, I'm top class like that. Well, well I'd really love to have you back on the show again. Um, you you know, if you have anything to promote or you're 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 working on any projects, I would love to see you, you know, get a job as a character as this macho man character in some kind of commercial or 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 movie or or you know, we have uh, uh, people doing uh, 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 radio dramas on the internet. And again, you would be if they needed a mach macho man guy, you'd be perfect for that. So well, we'd love to I'd have you on, too, man. I would uh, like, you know, I'm I'm open to to anything, man. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to get that big break and do something. You know, uh, I would love to do something like we were talking about with Jay Lethal doing something of a of a promo type of war. You know what I mean? If if they were going to do something with the Black Machismo character on AEW. You know, I've spoken to him and I've kind of like put that idea in his head, like, hey, man, if they ever want you to come and do that character again, 
you know, here's a here's a money making idea. You come out, you do your thing. Somebody else comes out. Now you're doing a battle back and forth like you did with Ric Flair, because that that was like tremendous. His Ric Flair is unbelievable. Yeah. And um, but him and Rick were going back and forth, and it was hysterical. So if you had me and him doing something like that, that would be great for me. It would be great for him, and it would definitely be great for all the fans watching that. You got to plant those seeds and let them grow. Anyway, thank you, thank you so much for appearing on the show. We have to, we have to bring on our next guest, but thank right. you, Macho Man. The Love world you. in the future. Thank you so much. Man, thank you, impersonator. Thank you, guys. Okay, so let me g- give me a moment while I bring on the next two guests. Oh, that, that's fine. I was going to ask Ev, uh, tremendous entertainer Ev, you're going to a a concert possibly? Is it in Central Park? Uh, Lincoln Center out of doors. Um, um, yeah, we, we have some great summer music festivals here and, uh, it's been kind of on hold since COVID, but now, uh, things are coming back and the COVID's lower in New York. So, um, the other night I saw Mickey Dolan's and Felix Cavalier from the Rascals. Really? Were they performing together? Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the same bill, not, not together. Okay, we have our, our our second guest here for tonight. And we have his publisher, too, Glenn Bray. And let me go get the publisher in just a second here. But why don't you introduce our guest for the moment while I... Uh, well, everybody, uh, you know, guys like Mike Tanay, Steve Yoey, myself, like to think we're uh, Los Angeles wrestling historians. But there is one who is the godfather, and he's a godfather of all kinds of other genres in art not just pro wrestling because the stuff that he has done is amazing and he has a book that he's crowdfunding and it's not even his first book his book is called library and glenn bray that's with two n's g-l-e-n-n bray b-r-a-y has an incredible new book that just encompasses all of these things that uh, that he's an expert on and curates and uh, glenn let us uh, well, which, how many books have you done so far? The new book is called Library, and, and there is a time limit on people helping you get this published. First, let me thank you for inviting us to the show. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, no, this isn't the first book I've been involved with. The first book I ever published was in 1973, and it was a little comic book on Basil Wolverton. Because I have a lot of originals from Basil, and I thought, well, they're just sitting here. I should do something with it. So I published a little 50 cent underground comic book in 1973. And then I went on to do things with about Harvey Kurtzman. Uh, and then I met this Polish artist, Stanislav Shukalski, of which you could see a documentary about him on Netflix. It's called Struggle. And after he passed, I went back and did another book on Wolverton and uh, did a book with fanographics on an old cartoonist from the 20s named Art Young. And the library book came about because of the pandemic. Basically, I was sitting here in 2020, uh, twiddling my thumbs and thinking, well, you know, there's a library upstairs with a lot of books I haven't looked at in years. I should go up there and play around with them. So I thought, well, I should start scanning them just for my own reserve to, you know, if the house burns down, at least I'll have image of the cover or something. So I, I started doing that. And my old friend, Frank Young, who helped me with the Art Young book, helped me start putting together a, a file of that. And he says, you know, we can do this as a print on demand thing. And I said, well, tell me the limit. Tell me how many pages do I have? 
somebody will print this thing. And he says, I think it's 800. And I said, oh, great. So I set that in stone. And for the next year, daily, nightly, I worked on this damn book. And it's just, it's a celebration of covers, just nothing but covers. And we don't talk about the insides. I don't tell you dates. I don't tell you publishers. It could be just a celebration of covers and that would be it. But I started, as I started scanning things, I saw streams of images and thoughts running through different genres. Different, I would see different pictures of people or animals doing slightly almost the same thing or something like that. So I just started putting them together uh, visually. And Frank, I, I would tell Frank, put you know this in top left corner, put this in. So we, we were working on that for a year. And I found this out. We're done. I'm happy with this. Let's let's go to print. And so he, he has uh, connections with all these uh, print-on-demand places, and nobody will do an 800 book. And Glenn, Glenn, speaking of print, introduce your publisher who we have on. <laughs> I thought I did. Eric Moss. Eric. Hey guys. Sorry about the technical difficulty there. Well, me too. Um, I, I came in late too. I'm I'm not the guy for the 20th century. Believe me. So Eric. Eric Tell us, Eric, it's called Zoop, Z-O-O-P, for Glenn's new book, Library. Uh, right. Tell us about that, because a lot of people, I'm sure, want to self-publish, and, of course, they want to help Glenn get his book out there. Sure. Well, so it's, uh, let's see, It's uh, it's been about a year. Actually, I think tomorrow is our one-year anniversary uh, since we went live, and it's a platform for pre-sale and crowdfunding, basically. Um, there are others out there, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, et cetera. But ours is pretty much laser focused on a certain genre of uh, a certain category uh, of, of the whole spectrum, which is uh, at first we started out with just comics, but now we're just making it more like comic centric, um, pop culture, geek culture, things that are basically in the realm of collectibles. Um, a lot of books, a lot of art books, um, but you know, could uh, expand into statues and toys and other things eventually too. Um, we had done a few, I, I was at IDW Publishing for a few years and a former coworker, Scott Dunbeer, who is uh, this just great art collector and editor guy who knows everyone. Uh, he had done a few projects with us uh, during the first year. He did an artist edition of uh, a beloved uh, comic book uh, creator that passed away of his like only uh, creator owned work. Uh, and then right now, well, we just finished up uh, a campaign for uh, called Comics for Ukraine, where he got like an all-star cast, you know, all-star A-list of um, who's who in comics to do uh, a bunch of uh, short stories and put them all together. And it's a big benefit for Ukrainian refugees. Anyway, long way of saying, he uh, introduced me to Glenn and told me all about the project. I thought it was just this amazing intro to Glenn's world. I was, we we're all too happy to be introduced to him and, and kind of enter into that eclectic uh, world that he represents. And um, it was a no-brainer for us. I, I thought it, it would be something great that we could put out uh, immediately. That's the, the beauty of a pre-order crowdfunding platform. There is no um, publishing schedule to try to keep, uh, you know, year in, in advance to, uh, it could be pretty immediate. We get it up, you know, we get a pre-campaign page up, we get people signed up to, for notifications, and we're off, you know? And we can make it a 30-day campaign, 45, whatever, you know, however we want. And uh, it basically just de-risks it. it. It shows you right away how much demand there is for 
uh, for a product. And um, I like to see it as um, we're kind of like a pseudo publisher. We we don't, you know, we just cut, we just cut straight to the chase. We don't do all that extra, the you know, marketing uh, budgets and 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 release dates and um, you know, holding things for for amount long amounts of time while things get through approvals and everything. It's just pretty quick and pretty immediate. And it sounded like a a great match, so we did it. And here we are, what a week and a half in, and it's. Um, approaching its goal it's doing great it's at a like a $25,000 funding goal and it's at I think 19 right now um so it's great this is exactly the type of uh of book that we uh love to get involved in did you know and I'm going to throw to Evan did you know that uh Glenn is this godfather wrestling historian that so many of us respect and he's film so many things and it goes hand in hand it's like guy stuff you know most of us like comic books we like our crumb uh crazy cat you know cartoons and you know and, and sick stuff and uh there's don't forget the freak brothers i'm sorry don't forget the freak brothers yeah yeah the freak brothers and all of that fun stuff but it, it, glenn like curates all of these things and i'm I'm surprised he hasn't started doing shows like uh, there's I can't think of the guy's name, but Glenn and I were emailing back and forth. This guy that goes around does slideshows on kitsch and nostalgia and Glenn. I, I could see Glenn doing even a far better job than uh, that other guy. So uh, but Ev, uh, these are things that you and I have talked about R. Crumb and, and uh, things like that uh, in the past. And there's like a. Uh, if you look at the graphic uh, Russ Buddy just had up, there's a, a a character, and I didn't even know I should have asked Glenn if he even wanted to go on camera, because uh, Glenn, don't you sort of kayfabe it and and have your own character that people view you as, or am I wrong on that? I don't know what you mean. No, the puppet. Okay. I think he's talking about the puppet that you had for Meet the Author. You know the the the. No, that's just for this book. Okay. <laughs> I want to entertain. I'm an entertainer. You, you yeah. are. I mean, uh, like I, I think of like the stuff I did in the early '60s. Like most everybody, I'm sure, because you, you go back even further. But uh, Ed, Big Daddy Roth stuff, making those models, making those models of all the the Aurora monsters from uh, uh, Universal, you know, pictures, all of that that cool stuff. And, and you kind of have honed so many of these things uh, beyond pro wrestling, which is very yeah. cool. Day, back in the 60s, 70s, it wasn't unheard of to contact an artist or a famous person. I mean, I knew Freddie Blassie. I, I contacted uh, Basil Wolverton and Carl Barks, who knew Donald Duck in the early days before they really had fans. They were happy to hear from me. And Harvey Kurtzman. I mean, I think the world has changed today where one of these new artists get a call or an email from people that kind of want to go, hmm, shut the door. I don't know, you know, is he a stalker or what? But back in the early days, it, it was all open. It was all, everybody was friendly. Everybody was open to everything. There was no, nobody's going to bring a gun to the... Wait, wait, tell us about this, because you film stuff that n absolutely nobody has, uh, you know, like Blassie and, and was it uh, Baron Leone at the Venice Beach or H.B. Uh, Haggerty? And you had Gorgeous George, you said... Did he come over to your house? He came over to my house in 1961. I think I was, I must have been 14. And Johnny and Legend and I were, were big fans of wrestling. We had the magazines, but we'd never seen him wrestle. And he owned a bar down in, uh, on, what was it? 
anyway, you owned a bar in the valley, and my mom happened to be working at, uh, a, she was a secretary for a beer supplier, and she came home one day, she says, you know, we got this account, Gorgeous George Ringside, it's out in the valley, you know, I said, Gorgeous George? She phoned him up, and uh, we were able to go out there to the Gorgeous George Ringside and meet him in person, sign, get some things signed, and we, you know, looked kind of, he, the whole place looked desperate. You could just, I was 14, I, it looked desperate to me, even then. And, and my mom says, well, maybe we should go for dinner. And I said, ah, oh, that would be amazing. You know, so wow. he got out in his pink Cadillac, I think, and he, didn't have, he couldn't afford to get poofed up. He came out with, a, with an orchid pen and everything, and he, he must have spent two or three hours, and he, he gorged himself. I think he ate most of the, I don't know, we had meatloaf or something. I think he ate half the whole plate that was sitting there. And then he went in to the dining room. He says, I do this after every meal. I always take a nap after a big meal. Right? So he goes in there, and he, he sleeps it off for about you know, 20, 30 minutes and comes back, and we do some more photos and stuff, and he leaves. A year later, the guy's dead of a heart attack. Well, you know, fancy that. It was tragic, the end, like the, investing all that money in the turkey ranch. People weren't ready for turkey burgers and all of that as a – uh, a beef replacement. He was so ahead of his time, but you know, it, it was very sad for those of us that revered him. Uh, we're talking, of course, to author historian Glenn Bray, cultivator. That's Glenn with two N's, B R A Y. The brand new book of his many books, Library, uh, is if you go to Soup. Well, I'm going to let you guys talk about that, but I want to throw back to Eva. Been interrupting as usual, and and uh, Eva, I'm sure you've got some questions if you've looked at some things that. The, and heard that Glenn has done, like nobody else has done this stuff. I go back to the uh, 60s. I was a huge comic book fan, and uh, I grew up on Ditko and Steranko and Neil Adams and Jack Kirby, of course. And uh, I, I, I just got away from it as, as I got older, as it got more commercial, more expensive. Um, what, what's your take on that? Do you still have the same passion for comics? Uh, now that it's a billion-dollar industry, and no, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what happened to me. David Price Guide came out, which what seventy-six or something like that, mm -hmm. something like that. I stopped collecting comics because all of a sudden, everybody everybody was an armchair historian, and you go to a swap meet, and then mom and pop would call out their price guide, ask for the Sunday Ghost comics. So I said, you know, screw it, I'm out. Bye, you know. I spent my 15 years going to Syracuse Bookstore and all these other bookstores that they honestly didn't know what they had. And I would go to find all books. You having some sound problems? Yeah, Glenn, can you get a little closer to your microphone? I think we're, we're you're cutting off a bit. Here we go. So, yeah, the day after um, the price gate came out, I said, I'm out. I'm out of here. So I started. Uh, I thought, you know, what else? I'm a visual collector. I still collect magazines, movie posters, ah, postcards. I started going to these postcard shows out in Pasadena, and by God, you could get a post beautiful 40s postcard for 20 cents. You know, I amassed a huge. I, I just divert. If something becomes too expensive for me, I I, I change lanes. I, I don't come. I'm not a millionaire. I've never, you know, I come from a working class family. I worked my whole friggin' life at a hardware store that my father owned. So, you know, things weren't 
handed to me, I had to work for them. And I kind of appreciate the fact that I was taught to dig. So I'd like to ask a question about Freddie Blassie and Pencil Nick Geek. Apparently, you had something to do with the recording of that song, and that has become one of it's the best friends, top... Johnny Legend. Well, yes, Johnny Legend wrote that. But Johnny Legend and I grew up since we were twelve years old. We used to go to the Olympic. We used to ride the bus before we could drive down to the Olympics, and stay. And our mothers would pick us up at you know ten, eleven o'clock. But I grew up with Martin. We used to go to movies together. We we grew up on EC Comics, and. One day we were standing in line at the Olympic Auditorium waiting to go in, and somebody was selling the Bob Dylan, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, his album that was, uh, it wasn't legal. They were well, selling bootleg, bootleg. Bootleg, bootleg. So I looked at Martin, I said, Martin, Dylan's great, but what about Blassie? We have all these old tapes of Freddie Blassie. I said, let's make a bootleg of Freddie Blassie. And Martin says, Better than that, we know Fred. Let's ask him to do a song for us. He's all composed it. I know musicians and everything. And by God, Fred agreed to it. You know what? A, you know he came out to the valley. I, I don't know if he was living out here, but he was out here for something. Spent a whole day at the afternoon at the recording studio, and uh, you know I was there, right at his feet, taking pictures, and, and I helped pitch some ideas. But by and large, uh, Johnny Legend wrote material for Fred, and he read it and pretty much you know had to do a couple takes but they they patched it in you know what was the studio it was in the valley was it oh yeah um ron i can't think of his name right now ron you have to talk to johnny about that he's he's got the particulars on that did you think it would become such a legendary hit who the fuck you know it was it's, we thought um, pencil net geek is our ode to punk them before punk came along that's okay. Well, there were four songs. I don't know if you guys did any follow-ups, but there were the one I had that's a blood red. Uh, it's like a 45. Uh, it uh, There's four on there, but I, I, I think you guys must have done more before the two films where Lynn Margulies, uh, Johnny's sister, was involved, uh, Breakfast with Blassie. And it was, uh, well, I, don't, I forget if he was involved in the Hello from Hollywood at all, even a, a snip of him and the Andy Kaufman thing. I don't think Johnny was involved. He did the breakfast with uh, Blassie with Kaufman. Yeah, I mean that. I would say, were you around for for that? I mean, that's. Yeah, I, so. I was off on another venture, and and Martin didn't really didn't need me. You know, he had a film crew, and he had those two guys that were going to bounce off themselves. He didn't need me cheering anybody on. Okay, somebody should, you know, because I haven't seen it. I, I I know I must have it in storage somewhere on a VHS, but. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. Ev, do you remember seeing that? I mean, how insane was Blassie and Andy Kaufman together in one place? Yeah, just... my, my breakfast with Blassie was amazing. And um, I keep, we, we did, I worked on the films The Wrestler in 350 Days, and I keep telling the 350 Days producers, we should do something with Valentine, Greg Valentine, because the guy's just funny. I mean, he, he could just... He could just rip on people like Classy and Kaufman did. I think I think it would be uh, worth doing, but uh, you know, life gets in the way. COVID got in the way. You know, we kind of well, been. Uh, it's like the well, I wouldn't say straight man to bounce off of uh, Greg Valentine because it could be a ton of guys. Lanny Poffo, you know, they from that generation or 
Flair that could be like, can you imagine Flair and Valentine just riffing on, you know, because they have that long history. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's a milestone, that film. Everybody everybody loves that film, My Breakfast with Blassie. It's tremendous. And, and for us, it's like a Dr. Demento file. You know, we all are. I, I was listening to it starting around 73, and, and Russ knows even more than I. It came a little bit later. But uh, that the play on that and the stuff that every Sunday Dr. Demento would give to. Uh, to yeah, it was number one many years before Weird Al took over. That was it was Fish Heads and and um, uh, Pencil Neck Geek vying for number one pretty much every week. So so yeah, I also wanted hey, to, to ask the director that Fred starts uh, going crazy on. You know, the guy in studio, the recording guy, who was who played that role? Was that one of you two? I got to say, that was my idea. I said, after you finish, we got to do this thing where he, he he gets hold of the, the producer and, like, twists his neck, you know. And finds out that he has a pencil neck. Johnny, that's Johnny's voice. Wow. That's that's a great little trivia. trivia bit. Can you tell me, though, what the real, like... The connection between the world of comics, especially in the 60s and 70s, to wrestling and why those two things were so connected in many different little subtle ways. What what was your feeling about how those two worlds intersected? Personally, I saw wrestlers, most of wrestlers, as cartoon characters come to life. I mean, it was just a, you know, cartoon. And I and I knew um, wrestling, you know, wasn't quite what they were trying to sell us when I was 13, 14, because Johnny and I would be down there and we'd see we'd see stuff that just, you know, wasn't right. You know, and we just we loved it. We, we joked about it and we never uh, came over to any of the wrestlers we knew and tried to make them tell us it wasn't real or anything. We just, you know, Fred would walk in and go. You know, bite the hell out of him, Fred. You know, he'd laugh at us, you know, to great, great boys, you know. So they knew we were in on it, you know, but we weren't going to upset it. We just loved it for the theater. It was, you know, it was really art theater before it was anything, you know. Evan, what do you call it? Uh, not the theater, the proletarian. Yeah, the, the proletarian performance art. Theater for the people. Theater in a squared circle. Yeah. Performance art. That's yeah. And of course, we're talking to Glenn Bray, brand new book coming out, and uh, we're trying to help him crowdfund it to get it uh, published through Zoop. Uh, Library is the name of the book. Just the images are cool. If you're a wrestling, comic book fan, roller derby, any of this stuff, guy stuff, trading cards, monsters, uh, anything you know, you are going to love Library. Let's uh, give all the scoop on that end. I should ask, though, because I've not asked Glenn. So you've done all these books, starting with the first one, or about 72, 73. Have any of them been wrestling books yet? Or maybe you and Eric could do that next, because I think there's going to be a demand from this and other wrestling radio shows. Talking to you earlier, I think you should do the wrestling book. I, did, I helped on the, on the Freddie Blassie uh, 45. That's about as close as I got. And there are several pages of wrestling, rare wrestling magazines in the library book you know but actually i was working with a guy named dan westbrook oh yeah dan's got that book on the well 
he's been trying to get it written for the last 10 years, the history of Los Angeles wrestling? Well, I've helped him and we together collected years of Olympic programs, you know, that I used to see on the, on, we'd leave the Olympic in 1963 and there were a thousand of these programs littering the floor of the Olympic and I pick up a couple. But uh, we were able to find quite a few. And I think that'd be a, an amazing book just to catalog those Olympic programs. Yeah. I don't see how it would be such a big problem. I mean, maybe he should talk to Eric about well, it. Well, he's, he's kind of a perfectionist. I mean, I've known Dan because I shot alongside him and the godfather, Theo Eret, who was my photographer, Sensei. Uh, and, and when uh, Theo passed, Dan uh, purchased quite a bit of uh, Theo's photo library. One thing, because uh, I know you stopped watching, but when Fred turned face in the cage match series with Sheik, Ed Farhut, who was also an incredible heel, and then Fred put the finishing touches on it by having that match with Rocky Johnson, where, you know, I forget what the steps were, but it was like Fred would retire or leave town if he did one heel move, cheating move. And, and then Fred went from years and years of the greatest heel in Southern California history to, to my mind. And I, after Jeff Walton and, uh, oh God, I can't, Terry Broke ran his first fan club. John Arizzi and I took over the Blassie fan club in like 73. Uh, but when Fred then became the biggest face ever, of course, it culminated with the eight months of the Tolis Monsel's powder angle from KCOP Channel 13. Greatest angle I've ever seen, and I say it ranks above Bruno's Abisco. So you can tell it was a great angle. The L.A. Outdoor Coliseum show, Tola Splassy on top. Fred gets his revenge after being in the hospital, you know, blinded. Sheik and Bobo, the other greatest feud in, in the biz at that time, was underneath. You know, all these amazing matches. But when and then before Fred left uh, at the Olympic, and I took some photos. But I know Theo and Dan did as well. It was like an audience of people watching a 3D movie. Everybody had and was given a free cardboard Fred Blassie mask yeah. with you know, little slits for the eye holes out. And sure. I know you've seen those photos and everybody had it on there cheering Blassie, which anywhere else in the world that may not happen. Maybe parts of Georgia, like Atlanta, where he had family or St. Louis, but you know, Northeast, where he's hated and Japan, all of that stuff where he had the ratings through the roof with Ricky Dozan, he and Dick Byer, another great legend. Uh, but I, there were also instances where like when Fred would be in a defensive position or down and selling, the audience, grown men and women crying. They love Fred that much. That is the beauty of wrestling. That's the beauty of what you cultivate in, in this book, that sort of feeling. How do you get that emotion out of people over you know, theater, predetermined theater. And um, that's, there's an artistry to that. There's an artistry to pro wrestling and this book. So let's let you guys uh, promote the heck out of it now, both you and Eric, just talk it up. How can people help get this book out there? And then how can they get the book for themselves? Because I'm sure there'll be a limited run. Be a one-time run as far as, as far as I know. What do you think, Eric? We're going to just... Do this campaign and then print as many as we can from the funds, correct? Look at the people. Ev doesn't even know. Uh, the, some of the people that have really lauded you to the skies are the biggest people in entertainment. Matt Groening, who created The Simpsons and Life in Hell. And there's nobody bigger on the planet for uh, cartoons, etc. But these are people you know. And there's many others like Groening. Uh, 
Uh, we were talking about Ron Turner, uh, last gas publisher, uh, who, who's produced and published all the, the greats. Many others love and respect Glenn. So let me shut up and let you talk some Zoop. Yeah, yeah well, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, um, <clears throat> personally, I, I'm just fascinated by people at the, the forefront of any movement. And, it, you know, people that are authorities on certain subjects with like unmatched knowledge and, and, and collections and all these things at their disposal. That's what we've got with, with Glenn with this book. I mean, it, it is like a definitive presentation. Uh, you know, n no one could have put this together but him. Um, and I've, you know, I I've seen it in the worlds of literature and comics, comic art, um, records, movies, modern art, graffiti. Um, and then, of course, with pro wrestling. I mean, there's just a huge connection there with, with me personally with, with what I've been into. And, and I saw that as, as part of his repertoire. And then it was just a home run. Like, there's, there's so many connections to um, things that I've uh, worked on in the past. Um, at, at, uh, as a little footnote, when I was at IDW, I did the, the Jim Cornette um, comic, the, the graphic oh. novel that he where he basically told, like, the history of you know, the behind the curtain, uh, you know, the real stories behind your favorite wrestling uh, angles, um, which was, you know, that was a, my first crowdfunding campaign that I ever ran. Um, and it's just, you know, it's the type of thing where once you get into that world, you're just you're hooked and you want to learn more and more and more. Um, being introduced to Glenn was like, you know, it was just. Uh, <laughs> He's a heavyweight. He is when yeah. guys like me who think we know L.A. know. We take a back seat to Glenn Bray. He's the godfather of. Uh, uh, go on with you now. Go on with you. <laughs> so I mean, so it's currently live. You know, the, it's uh, what a week and a half, two weeks in. Uh, there's another few weeks left in the campaign. It's at zoop.gg. It's not zoop.com. Zoop.com was taken. Um, so we had to get creative with it with our uh, our URL uh, that we ended up getting. But um, yeah, all of our socials are. Uh, we are Zoop. So if you go to Instagram, uh, if you go to Twitter, if you go to Facebook, if you just put in We Are Zoop, you'll see all of our latest with uh, Glenn's book right up there front and center for the next few weeks. And um, and that's the whole idea of the, of the crowdfunding campaign. It's an event. You know, we like to... When people can participate yeah. and help yeah. people they respect to yeah. create art that they love and want to see get out there. Hey, zoop.gg is perfect. Let's bring in the wrestling fans. GG for Gorgeous George. Zoop.gg, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Even better than .com. <laughs> Ev, Ev, I, I, I think I interrupted Ev. Ev, I'm sorry. Let me throw back to Ev. No, I just I just wanted um, both our guests to plug away because it's a worthwhile project and uh, people should support it. So um, anything else you guys like to plug? Feel free. Well, we want to keep this uh, under wraps. I'm really excited. I mean, I've, I had I've been playing with the PDF file. I've been sharing the PDF file with people like Matt Groening and Art Spiegelman over the past year and they're just, they're blown away and they're going, you gotta see this in print. I said, I know I worked on this friggin' thing for a year. I, it needs to be on paper. That's, uh, it's a whole other deal. And I, I wanna see this on paper. And I also realized that I know it's a hundred dollar book, but if this went through any other publisher, an 800 page book of that size. And no, it'd be like Rizzoli or Tashin that we talked about. People, those books are way more. They go to five, 600. Uh, so, and this is going to be a limited run as far as I know. And uh, 
I don't know. I just put my all into this. You know, my first big book about my collection was The, the Blighted Eye from Fantagraphics, and that covered my comic art collection. But that's not really what started me collecting. It's these damn comic books and book covers and books that started me diving into the art world, you know. So this, I feel almost closer to this book than I do to that other book. Let me ask about your shirt. Is that a keep on trucking, those caricatures? It's, it's, I, the picture is very small, so I can't tell if it's... Looks like Bigfoot. Apes. Yetis. What is it? Yeti. Yeti. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Okay. Yes. And there have been some Yeti wrestling characters. <laughs> yeah. I really have that got in the ring. One of them was a WCW wrestler. What about, what about, what about like, your shirt? <laughs> oh, there's Bruno. Bruno. Yeah. There you go. Well, Andre the Giant was was one of, was a Bigfoot on the Six Million Dollar Man. So yeah. there's a, a, a Bigfoot connection guy. for you. So um, before you go, I just wanted to find out, Eric, just any of your have you had any challenges in getting this book produced because of the subject material is contained within? I mean, there's always challenges in, in, in publishing these things, but has anyone, you know, uh, said you can't publish this or it's too controversial, has too much stuff in it that, that would upset the wrong people or anything like that? They could change the channel, just like a radio show. If they don't like it, you change the channel, the TV or the radio channel. I, there, there's plenty of people right now that say that just because a book is something they don't like, they want it banned. They want they don't want anyone to read it. So publicity yeah, we could get. That would be good. Yes, if they if they wanted to ban you, that's probably that's probably all for the best, huh? Anybody that's seen the rollout campaign and seen the images that Eric put out there. You know, and there's a warning. We've had, had put out a, a warning for, you know, the idiot population that's out there. Nobody's going to order a $100 book to be offended. Yeah. The the, idiot. Those idiots are not going to, that's not your target audience. You want an audience that like subversive Simpsons or, you know, anything. Uh, Why do you think there's no books like that out now in that same way? Why do you think that that, that that's sort of gone away the subversive comic i don't think there's ever been a book like this from what i've seen so far there's been nothing like this that's why it's so unique to glenn well, why do you think it went away it was such a big thing in the 60s and 70s and early 80s and then it just sort of disappeared Publishers are, are very very careful these days way too careful they don't take risks picked up by a few of the publishers I shared the files with, they were probably a little bit scared because they have a big audience and their people wouldn't understand um, the crossover, you know? And I, and I think this way we're, we're tunneling an audience specifically for graphic imagery. They're not gonna be offended by the crazy stuff. And there's crazy stuff in there and I, you know, I guess I don't know all of it, but I think it's all wonderful imagery. I'm excited by it. It is. We all love that. Yeah, we love the we love the Gorn, you know, on those wrestling magazine covers. We we love that. Well, that's been great. You've been a wonderful guest. Um, we really appreciate having you. When you're closer to you know getting this out, and if you want to come back, uh, I mean, when when well, you Eric, want to do another promoter, soup .gg If they want a book published as well, are you? Uh, open to people doing presentations, et cetera, because zoop.gg is the place. 
Sure. Yeah. And and there's actually two models. There's the full service, which is what we're doing with Glenn, which is like, sure, bring it to our platform. We'll handle everything. We'll get the book printed. We'll fulfill it, you know, send it out to everyone. It'll be like, you know, our baby we will we'll, we'll champion it. And then there's the uh, kind of more streamlined version where people can come to the platform and run their own campaign on it. That too. You know, so it, we don't necessarily have to do the full full thing where we get it printed and, and kind of act like a publisher would. Uh, we could just be the host and sure enough, you know, like just kind of set people up and let them uh, try it on their own. So, yeah, there's there's really no reason if unless, you know, we try to not be too careful. We give everyone a voice. It can't be anything like harmful to people, anything, any, you know, hate speech type stuff. Um, that won't get approved. But but it, basically any other type of book, uh, you know, in the pop culture realm and comics and, and just art and et cetera, uh, just write us at hello at wearezoop.com and we will check it out. We can uh, tell you what we could do for you. And, you know, maybe it's, it could be uh, the, the full suite of services like Glenn here got and, and, and we could get, you know, really behind it or we could just... Uh, let you do your own, but either way, we, we want to hear it all. We want to see every type of project. Um, we're, we're growing, we're expanding. The team is getting bigger this year. Thank right. you. Of course, Glenn Bray, G-L-E-N-N-B-R-A-Y, just like uh, Bray Wyatt, but it's Glenn Bray, the book library. Is it is soup.gg? That's the place we're sending people, or do you have some other spots too? Nope, that's it. And then social media, we are Zoop. Is, is where you would find us if you just type us in in any type of social media platform. Um, but yeah, zoop.gg, Glenn's front and center for the next two weeks. Come check it, come check out his book and everything beyond. We have others coming later in the year that are also, you know, coffee table books, collections, omnibus, deluxe, hardcovers, etc. Uh, you know, we're getting uh, more and more submissions every week than, the, you know, now that we're in there. Entering so into our maybe second we can year. send our first guest in the Macho Man. Maybe he could do because he could should do a spoken word, but he could do a book with soup. So uh, to keep that in mind, let me throw back to Evan Russ to close out the show. Uh, we just want to we just want to thank you guys and much respect for tackling you know things that aren't quite as commercial but have true value and uh, that'll reach its audience and. Um, you know, nothing but respect. I mean, I, I love comics. I love wrestling. I love, you know, <laughs> all these quote unquote underground, um, you know, genres and uh, projects like this are exciting. So uh, anything we can do to help get the word out, we really uh, we're happy to. And one final question. What's the story behind the, uh, the Cobra that's behind you? Well, that's a that's a 1919 bronze by Stanislav Zukalski. Wow! If you've got Netflix, watch watch the documentary. It was produced by Leonardo DiCaprio. It's called Struggle, and it's it's been on streaming 24/7 for the past three years. And I'm in it. Freddie Blassie is in it. Wow! So you got to see it. It's called Struggle. Struggle. Yeah. Very good. Well, we really appreciate having you on. We'd love to have you on in the future. There's even more questions that I didn't get to ask you in this hour, but but we really appreciate having you on, and, and thank you so much. You've been wonderful guests. Thank you, guys. All right, and that's all we have for this week. We'll see everyone next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.